and welcome to New Age Raid, a podcast about spirituality in the modern age. My name is Brody, and I'll be your host. All right. After a brief hiatus, welcome back to the show. Um, so there's several reasons for said hiatus. One being I went on vacation and kind of just took a step away from all of my projects for a couple weeks, got sick, um, but also decided to take this podcasting in a little bit of a different direction and that I'm doing interviews now um, in pondering and thinking and doing journey work and all kinds of things I kind of got the the message that it would be nice to not only talk to different voices but give said voices a chance to be heard and listened to um, as a form of I don't know maybe some kind of service I feel like I can I can give. Um, but this, so this first interview is with Ulysses Jason Newcomb. So he's a friend of mine um, from, we are in a shared magical community. And he <laughs> very graciously volunteered to be my first victim. Um, having the opportunity to listen to it again for editing purposes was rewarding. We had an interesting and far ranging discussion about music our spiritual practice, prayer is harmony and co-creation and several other things, but among them, my favorite part, and I think the central message that came through from our collaboration is the message of uncertainty. As much as I regret delaying this episode so much and falling off the podcaster wagon, this episode going up at this particular time feels serendipitous. Uh, we're living in a time of inherent uncertainty, and my astrologically informed opinion is that that will continue for some time, maybe like a decade. Uncertainty, uh, it must be admitted, is uncomfortable for a lot of us, but it has its benefits, I believe. Ulysses and I have a shared experience of going from a world with far too much certainty to worlds where we have learned to value not having it all figured out. There's a certain joy in finding things out for yourself in not knowing. As a self-described spiritual seeker, I would have thought I would have had a larger store of wisdom by now. In truth, the adverse has happened. The more I seek, the more I learn, the less I think I truly know. Uh, my treasure hoard doesn't grow as much as the room containing it becomes bigger and bigger, and my little hoard looks smaller and smaller. As such, I've kind of abandoned the idea that I know anything much beyond what works for me. I hope and pray I still have little valuable gems to share from my treasure hoard. There are value, but I'm not about to go advertising it as the biggest or best treasure hoard around. Anyways, I think we've stretched that analogy thin. So suffice it to say, I enjoyed this conversation with Ulysses deeply, and I pray that you find something of comfort and value to you in these uncertain times. Uh, forgive me for using a very tired phrase. Also, Ulysses, deepest apologies for the delay. And thank you for being my first interview. Um, do him the favor of visiting his blog at meaningandmystery.blogspot.com and listening to his band's music on their YouTube page, which is Gazm, G-H-A-Z-M, band. And I'll let the interview speak for itself. Enjoy. All right, welcome to New Age Raid, um, podcast about modern spirituality. I am here with Ulysses, which is actually my first question for you, 
is the name Ulysses. You sent me in your email, you described um, that it was kind of a chosen name. Like I think you referred to uh, Jason as your slave name. And that was, I was just like, what do you mean by that? <laughs> so yeah, if you want to go ahead and explain that, that'd be a good starting point. Yeah, so it was part of a project where I was uh, making an effort to push my ability to individuate. Okay. So that, uh, it occurred to me that uh, names are given to us non-consensually. Yeah. Uh, I don't necessarily see that as inherently something uh, malicious. I mean, our, our parents do have to give us names. Yeah, they got to call you something, right? <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> I mean, I, mean uh, I think that would be a bit too, too much of a, a mind frig. I don't know if we can swear on this. Yeah, no, you can go for it. <laughs> yeah, I think, I think that would uh, fuck up a kid's perceptions to not have a name for it until yeah. they're conscious of what's going on around them. So, I mean, obviously I'm happy to have a name and it's, it's a cool enough name, but I, I when I moved to a, to a different city and I was anonymous in that city, I had no family, no friends, complete, um, complete uh, cut off from my network uh, to a large degree, large degree on purpose. It occurred to me that I have a lot of say on uh, what kind of person I'm going to be. <laughs> yeah. So, uh, so it occurred to me that I could try a name. Um, I didn't pick it though. It was picked by my wife. Oh, that's interesting. Uh, she made, she made the suggestion and we had a little ceremony where she herself kind of baptized me with this new name. Um, yeah. And there's something, something a little bit ancestral about it. Uh, mm -hmm. the, that I, but a lot of this I understood after I did the experiment. So I just changed the name and I understood later that it has, uh, it became clear to me that it has both a direct ancestral thing because despite it being uh, kind of a, like a Latin, uh, Latin Greek thing mm -hmm. uh, in, in mythology uh, because of the character of Odysseus, um, it also it is a an Acadian name, hmm. which and the Acadians are are, are uh, low class uh, French Canadians uh, who oh. are deported, you know. And so it's so they have so there's like this tension of like high myth in that name, but also there's the opposite in in the class structure of like. You know, people of the land who, you know, who fish and eat yeah. potatoes. You know? Yeah, no, that's super interesting because, like, it made me think um, pretty quickly of, like, I know in this magic world that we both live in, right, that that's a, seems to be a common thing of people giving themselves a new kind of, like, a wizard name or something. And so part of me is like, is it that? Um, but no, that's super fascinating that your wife chose it for you because I've, I've thought about similar things. I've never had a problem with, um, I've always liked my name. So I, I think I might be unique in that sense. You've, you've got like, I worry about Elon Musk's kid, right? <laughs> with that stupid, 
Like, obviously that's like some weird stunt on his dad and his mom's part and not his individuality, right? Um, but I always just liked my name because it was just unique enough to be um, different, but not so, uh, it wasn't like Matt or something like that, which I'm going to talk to a Matt and then I'm going to offend him. But, <laughs> but, um, but yeah, that was just something that like immediately piqued my interest. I was like, why, why Ulysses? Um, so that's, 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 that's dope. That's got a lot of history to it. I mean, I think about like, what if I wanted to take on a new name? Um, which is funny because I'm going to offend a lot of Mormons right from the get-go. <laughs> um, and that's one of the things that the temple ceremony is about, right? The secret, super secret stuff that I supposedly took an oath not to talk about, but, um, but they do give you a new name. I think the promise is that you won't tell them what your new name is. And uh, me and my wife both had this funny experience of coming out of the Mormon church and realizing that we both hated the new names that we were given <laughs> in the temple. Because we found right. out that the way the system works is that they have like a role and every day it changes, but everyone on that day gets the same name. So if I received, if I went through the ceremony the same day that someone else did, we'd both have the same new name. Um, and it's gotten to the point where members who have left the church have figured out how to figure out what the new names are. So you can just type in what date you got a ceremony right. performed and that's, and it'll be like, okay, so that should be your name. And it's, it's spot on. Um, but it's, it's kind of a weird religious concept from my end that I've kind of already been exposed to, but it's something that I've thought about since leaving that I'm like, well, what, what new name would I give myself? Um, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. That's an interesting thought. Um, well, yeah, it shows, goes to, I think it shows that there's a, a, an apprehension of the importance of a name. Yeah. And that um, there, there's something about naming something that has to do with uh, some sort of uh, ownership properly. There's, there is a dominance thing to it. Yeah. Um, like, like, in, like in the Bible, it's the, the man was to be was was to tend well how does it put it again it's like it was to be like the boss of the beasts yeah i think it was like a um i want to say the word shepherd but that's i don't think that's the word either (laughs) yeah well well people can look it up but there there's part of that process was to was that all the animals would proceed before man and man would name the animal right so there's something about uh putting things in order uh in in a naming cer- ceremony and i think you could see how that's like weaponizable <laughs> yeah yeah well and I, I feel like it's it's a it's a claiming of identity thing um which we'll probably want to go over your history and how it's kind of similar to mine and that and you were raised jehovah's witness and and i very fairly recently you know, exiting from, from Mormonism. I mean, it's been a couple, three, four years, um, but, but it's still a process that's ongoing for me. Um, But like the thinking about the question of identity and how much these fundamental religions give an identity to you and kind of expect you to align yourself with it. And that experience of leaving that and having to define your identity for yourself after that experience. Um, so 
yeah, go ahead and talk about a little bit about your history um, with the with being raised Jehovah's Witness. I kind of already know it because I heard I've heard previous interviews, but but just for the sake of those listening. <laughs> sure. Uh, so my parents converted to Jehovah's Witness from Catholicism in a small town in New Brunswick, Canada, a small Acadian town. Uh, they made the, their baptism to Jehovah's Witness uh, in 1975. I was born three years later. Um, there had been uh, four kids before me uh, that knew the pre-Jehovah's Witness world of my family. And then there was a, a gap in, in how many kids they had. And then conversion and then me so there was it's a bit like a step family situation where there's a pre-event zero family and yeah, then that's, that's that was yeah. one super strange thing about it is that like you have your rest of your family that had this totally different religious experience and then you came along into a completely different world from the rest of them and i thought that was probably uh, kind of an interesting like historical fact about you that um it, it must have felt like kind of estranging from the rest of your siblings in a way. Yeah, certainly. And uh, the, the, I have doubts that uh, the fallout of that will ever heal. I, I don't think that's going to happen. I mean, I'll, I'll make my best efforts, uh, you know, as, as much as I have, you know, resources to do that. But uh, yeah, I think that's a permanent thing. Um, yeah, so, so I grew up Jehovah's Witness. Um, I personally was baptized in the religion at, I believe, 15 years of age. Um, and I, uh, and then I had a rough time fitting in. I always had a bit of a rough time fitting in. I left the, the home at around 19, 20 years old. And that was a pretty major culture shock for me. Yeah. And I wasn't able to handle myself very well uh, in, in just like the, the world in general. I was not taught any like financial skills. I probably was not very well socialized. Um, you know, I, wasn't, I didn't have like the, the skills and resources necessary to navigate a, an open-ended world. Mm -hmm. uh, so, and then I returned and with like a significant amount of, of zeal <laughs> uh, and I really threw myself in and because I figured if this non Jehovah's Witness thing uh, didn't work and hurt, then it must be that the Jehovah's Witness thing is right. Uh, so if I, the more I throw myself in, the better it ought to be, which is essentially the promise of, yes. of, of that religion, right? Um, and then, and then it that didn't work either. <laughs> I, I also burnt out because uh, it's extremely resource time uh, consuming um, enterprise. Being a Jehovah's Witness is like having having a career, and uh, and then I burnt out, and then I had to start questioning what was really good for me and what was going on and that 
questioning process started subconsciously and I started making decisions more subconsciously. Uh, it seemed like I was just making decisions at random, but I think it was more like a instinct thing. And then over like a 10 year period, the questioning process surfaced itself more and more until finally I made like an official uh, uh, secession from this religion. Yeah, that's that's interesting that you you frame it in that in that context of it being subconscious at first. Um, I feel like with a lot of the people that I've talked to about their exit from from Mormonism or other religions, a lot of it sometimes they they have a break point where for a lot of people in the LDS Mormon community right now, it's when the church came out with certain declaration, declarations about homosexuality. And I think one of them was they, they said, if you are the child of a homosexual couple, they won't let you be baptized until you're 18 because they want you to fully like separate yourself from that. And that caused a lot of people to leave. And it was kind of this break point for a bunch of them. Um, and I, I always had a difficult time. Um, I empathized, like I agree, like it was a super hurtful thing to, for the church to do. But my leaving experience was much more gradual. I feel it was like kind of like shower thoughts moments where I, you know, have a quiet moment with my own thoughts and, and just realizing something was off or having thoughts like, what if the Baptists are right? What if the Buddhists are right? What makes me think that I'm right about this as opposed to other people? And I didn't have a good answer for it. Um, but it seemed to take years, um, because I look over my history and I would say that I started, you know, losing faith shortly after my mission. Um, and, <laughs> and that took, you know, I'm still moving through said process almost a, you know, eight, seven, seven years later, um. It, it it was such a gradual thing where I had to come to terms with it on my own. And then I finally like told my wife, I was like, I think I'm, I think I'm done. Um, and that was, that was really a big break point was admitting it publicly to someone else, especially um, I was, I was thinking, I was like, she could divorce me <laughs> because she was still yeah. heavy in the faith. Um, and since we, and since then we've both moved out, we're on different stages of that process, but, but yeah, that's, um, that's interesting that for you, it was kind of a subconscious thing that took a little bit of time, I assume. Yeah. yeah. Now, did you have well, to, did you ever have a mission experience as a, as a Jehovah's Witness? Like going so Jehovah's, yeah. So Jehovah's Witnesses, their mission is a, uh, is lifetime. Oh, okay. Uh, it's yeah, not like a so, set two year thing, like with the Mormons where I guess it's lifetime for Mormons, but they do have this formal, like two years, you're out of your house preaching full time. Yeah, no, uh, the, so the Jehovah's Witness, the, the expectation is that you will, uh, you will embark on this lifetime evangelizing mission. Uh, so, so that's every week, every Saturday morning, at minimum, mm -hmm. you know, two hours. Um, and the more you do, the, you know, the better it is. <laughs> yeah, um, that's, yeah, that's, that's interesting, because I guess it's, I mean, I had this framework. I think you have a lot of members of the, the Mormon church that like have it very intense for those two years. And that's, 
that's one of those weird things that I, I feel really conflicted about because it was, um, I had a lot of spiritual experiences within that time frame, and it's a very different lifestyle that I think taught me a lot of lessons. But um, if you have to do it every week for the rest of your life, I can see why that makes being a Jehovah's Witness feel like another career because <laughs> you have to yeah. you know, constantly do that. That's interesting. Um, so I had a chance to, to listen to a lot of your, your music that you and your band do. Um, Thank you. I think I listened to the whole dethroning the DJs. <laughs> Thank you. Thank you. Um, that means a lot to me. I appreciate it. It's, I, I enjoyed it. It was, um, I don't, I don't know how to describe myself musically, like what my tastes are. Um, I'll listen to anything from, from hip hop to like very primal kind of, um, there's this band I'm into now called Heilung that's German and they have this very like primal kind of almost like, you know, dance naked under the woods kind of music. It's very, um, it's ceremonial and ritualistic. It's, and it's, I don't know, I, I like it. But, and so I listened to your music and I kind of caught so many elements in just one album of like, sometimes it felt kind of primal and then it went towards more standard rock and rolly kind of stuff. And it was, it was good. I enjoyed all of it. So, um, what, and I know that the thing that you're working on right now is the book about music, right? That's um, right. And I'm kind of curious as to what angle you're going with that. Cause I understand that like it has something to do with, I think the potential that you see in music. So I wanted to ask you about that. Like what you think music is or what it could be. Um, or maybe those are two separate questions that you can answer one at a time, <laughs> but yeah. Right, right. Uh, well, I, the, the, I'm in the process of figuring that out. Okay. Um, I'm following, uh, I'm following a hunch that I think that we have music largely wrong. Um, ever since, especially since the industrial era, mm -hmm. possibly earlier. Um, and I'm trying to, I'm trying to figure out if that hunch has any substance to it. Um, so I'm st still early in the research process. Okay. So my, I have a blog that is kind of that research process laid bare. So yeah. I, and I've been meaning to read it. It's just that like we, we scheduled this so quickly. I was like, dang it. I yeah. need to have some time to, to look into it. Um, but yeah. Sure. So, um, so, so the question is uh, what, what you think music is or what it can be. And so, so I'm basically the reason I'm saying that I'm early in the research process is because any conclusions I draw are going to be tentative. Yeah. Um, and I, I guess maybe fresh. more like what, what your, what is your, uh, your hunch that I'd like maybe yeah. explain more about what the hunch is you think. Right. So I think music is, uh, has, at minimum, a dual function that is interrelated. So music builds a bridge to a dimension wherein music can serve as a beacon for the, for the calling home of the soul. Hmm. So 
That's my answer. (laughs) No, that's a great answer. I was just like, you could probably piece that apart and think about it for quite a while. Um, It kind of reminds me, well, just talking about that band I was just talking about. It was a different musical experience. Um, It might've been, might've been the weed too. (laughs) Um, I feel like weed does change the experience of music, but um, it kind of awoke something very different in me than, than what I'm used to. Um, when it comes to listening to music, most of the time it feels like it's a leisure thing. And yeah. based off of what your hunch is, um, you, you're saying it can connect us to something a lot deeper than that. And I definitely vibe with that. You have a lot of music that seems to achieve that end. Um, I think a lot of spiritual music does. Even some hymns, despite the fact that I'm trying to distance myself from Mormonism a lot, there's still a lot of hymns that do mean a lot to me once you kind of jailbreak them. Um, and I think music does have that potential. So I was kind of interested in what your, your angle is. So that's, that is an interesting point of research. I'm kind of interested to hear what you, what you find out with more research. Um, that being said, so we, we kind of talked briefly. That's the thing. Um, that whole history between you and, and Jehovah's Witness probably has a lot more details to it than, than we'd be able to go into in uh, an hour-long interview. But um, what I, I, I was curious as to kind of like the, the experience for me right now is just experiencing spiritual thoughts that are wholly different from what I experienced as, as, as a member of the Mormon church. Um, and, and just, it's kind of been spastic, just me just hopping all over the place, trying to get up, get as much information as I can. I wonder if you had a similar experience and what kind of things you learned via your exit from Jehovah's Witness. Like what, um, what kind of new truths kind of blew your mind, I guess? Um, I think I'd go with the most recent ones because they're, they're uh, the ones that I'm, I'll be able to articulate perhaps the best because mm-hmm. they're fresh. Um, but definitely I think, Right now, I'm in the process of reclaiming uh, the treasures that are hoarded within religion. Yeah. So I am healing my relationship to religion in general, where uh, before I had some pretty serious hangups because, uh, like you said, there's there's a lot of details where not not going over and that I've never uh, done publicly that I may, I may not ever. Yeah. Um, but uh, trust me when I say I have a reason to hate religion. <laughs> <laughs> well, and I, and I, I feel that way too. I was kind of, well, I feel like I might be a little bit odd compared to some people and that I didn't have, um, cause I engaged with the ex Mormon community after leaving, right. Just because you're trying to find a new tribe and those people know exactly what you went through. Um, and there is a ton of anger there. Um, and I, part of me feels like, Oh, I didn't get as much anger cause I just wanted to move on. But then again, I think about, um, as I realized the full breadth of like what happened to me via religion, <laughs> I do get angrier. Um, right. And because it's, it's this, it's stolen opportunities. It's um, yeah. things, decisions that you never had the opportunity to make. Um, yeah. And I, 
and I can get a little bit more <laughs> angry when I think about those things. Um, but at the same time, I feel like I've been able to, it, well, it almost feels like an act of justice to pull out those things that were precious to you from religion and, and claim them for your own separate from, you know, systems within religion that damaged you. Right. So here's, here's where I'm at with that. I, I think that to remain in the anti-religious mode, yeah. especially for some, for the reason of having brought, been brought up in religion and having been traumatized by it, I think that is religion maintaining its hold on you. That's, that's a very interesting and I think right way to think about it. Yeah. Yeah. So at this point, I've decided that it's not up to my uh, bad experiences within religion to decide how much of religion I should allow myself to have. So I've I've done a lot of research within religion, uh, not for this reason, but for, for the music thing, because I had a hunch that the religious domain had a better handle on uh, the mechanics of the transcendent experience. And my, my hunch started with that, that music uh, served as a contemporary con like a container wherein this, the mind that considers itself secular can allow itself a religious experience. So, so I, I dove into researching religion and I realized that my hatred of religion uh, came more from ignorance than anything, uh, anything else. Yeah, I had this kind of, I don't know if I want to call it an experience. So sometimes I'm like, is it an experience if it's all in my head? But it, yeah, <laughs> um, I, I was thinking about things that were like spiritually significant to me that happened to me within Mormonism. And I think my standard reaction is to downplay those things because I'm like, well, I wasn't operating from a correct paradigm at the time. Um, but then it occurred to me, I'm just like the same, the same God that's giving me answers right now and um, making me feel the way I feel right now is the same God that did that to me <laughs> when I was a Mormon. It's just that, you know, I, and so I, for some reason I had in my head, then I had them separate. I had Mormon God and I had the God that I'm praying to now, which is ontological. It's just a very different God because it's, it's, I'm trying to separate it from the stereotypes of old bearded man in the sky <laughs> and turn it into something that's more uh, part of it's hermetic because there's the whole idea of the all, which is impossible to wrap, wrap your head around. Um, I think that was the point. Um, but incorporating new ideas that I've gained since leaving into my current idea of God. Um, and I maintained that version separate from Mormon God. And I realized I didn't need to do that. <laughs> that it could possibly be from the same source, um, me interacting with something. Um, I still don't have it quite figured out to be honest. <laughs> it's a process, I suppose. But um, that brings me to the question of like, what, what is your metaphysics at the moment? What do you think? Um, obviously, based on what I know about us both, we're probably coming from a animistic 
kind of magical <laughs> framework at the moment, but um, what, what things have you discovered and what do they lead you to think reality is? Um, I think the best answer to that is I don't know, but that's pretty boring to discuss on a podcast. <laughs> it's the correct <laughs> answer though, so you're not entirely wrong. <laughs> Like at the, at the end of it, it's just like, well, we don't know, but I guess, because yeah. um, I remember your answer, you were talking about this in, in your podcast with your band that like, uh, when talking about God, that we don't, we don't know. And so kind of flipping the script and being like, well, I'll believe this and see what happens rather than like trying to look for evidence of your beliefs. Um, so that's, I don't know is you say, it and it's like, it doesn't, give a lot to talk about, but it's kind of the correct <laughs> answer at the same time. <laughs> like I've, I've started thinking about it in that way of just like, well, my reality is my own and it applies to nobody else. Um, right. In the sense that like via journey work and other things like that, I'm interacting with things that nobody else is um, in a way that nobody else experiences them. Um, like I've heard you say several times on different um, in, in the interviews or the, podcast that you you're a very visual person and it makes me envious um because i can imagine things and visualize them in my head but your your uh, the amount of visual input that you get um either via meditation or whatever seems fairly more intense um and that like you had to define several times during interviews like when i mean i'm a visionary person i don't mean that i'm some kind of prophetic um, leader, but I mean that I get like just lots and lots of images and that's, that's, I, it makes me jealous because I wish I had that. <laughs> but, um, so metaphysics is, we don't know. <laughs> well, I, I think, I think, uh, I mean, everybody, you could, you need a metaphysics, otherwise you're just kind of swimming in the sea of, I don't know. Yeah. And I think, I think, you were talking about paradigms when your your Mormon paradigm was incorrect, and it, I think it kind of struck me struck me as like I don't think you can have a paradigm that is that is that isn't incorrect. Oh, that's that's so, the interesting thing is because I don't feel um, like I need to attack my parents who are continue to be faithful LDS people because I'm just like if 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 your paradigm is working for you right now, I don't want to mess with it. Um, because I don't think it's ineffective either. Like, I think if they believe sincerely and they're praying and doing all the right things, then I'm just like, well, yeah, that's going to work because I'm doing prayer right now and it's working for me, despite the fact that we're ontologically, you know, fairly distant from each other at this point, or at least there's distant or differences that feel major, right? Yeah, I think, I think the, the mostly my, paradigmatic uh, um, what do you call it leapfrogging uh, it, it has been mostly an attempt to avoid certainty yeah uh, because I think that's where uh, things get dangerous that there's the li highest likelihood for danger and mm. certainty so I'll be I'll be willing to to engage metaphysics that I discover as as I go, um, 
but I'm, I'll never be willing to commit too much to, to anyone because uh, I learned that certainty uh, is very likely to be uh, something that's impermanent. Yeah, and I, 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 I have to agree with you, obviously. I think um, we've, I've heard this phrase several times of like, you have to lose a world. <laughs> um, right. And that experience um, kind of removes certainty from, from everything. But um, it, I think it's a healthy thing to not be certain. I agree with that. Because um, I think I see so many churches and I'm like, they could improve themselves if they would remove that certainty thing. They're so certain that they're correct. And they're so certain that, you know, this is what we've been given and we're not going to change it. We're not going to, um, we're not going to budge. And I, that's the thing that stands in the way of their own progress. <laughs> and I feel like that was uh, something that happened to me is looking uh, part of the reason I left is I think I started to feel stagnant. Like I'd been working with the same material, you know, rereading the book of Mormon over and over and over again. Um, and I don't deny that I got certain spiritual truths from it that I still live by. Um, but at the same time, like there's only so much progress you can gain by doing the exact same things and reading the exact same things over and over and over um, and not changing your paradigm to match new truths i guess or at least things that seem true <laughs> at the moment right yeah. right right yeah if your if your metaphysics don't follow your experiences then you're you're asking for cognitive dissonance i think yeah and i think that's what makes most people end up leaving eventually i think some people get too far into sunk cost fallacy and they're like well i gave my life to this i can't leave now but oh, cognitive yeah cognitive dissonance was a big part of my thing. I felt like I was living two lives um, that, you know, outwardly I was faking it, acting like, you know, I'll go to church and do the things. And, you know, so I have to, so can I, I can avoid the shame of not being a believer, but internally, like I knew I didn't believe it. And having the two persons is, is not a comfortable place to be in. Um, so I think that's what kind of, led me out um that being said what what is your current spiritual practice what things are you doing spiritually that kind of enrich you yeah that's a lot easier to answer <laughs> yes than uh tell me what reality is <laughs> yes i know i was just like sometimes i feel like it's kind of a primer question to ask just like well, let's, let's get spitballing what you think is going on here. I don't know. Yeah, I love the question. It's super fun to explore. Uh, but, but what I actually do is yeah. uh, there's this idea that uh, you don't know what you believe. You only act what you believe. That's yeah. the only way to, to discover what you believe is by looking at your actions. Um, because you're, if you're taking action then you're, you've got skin in the game. You're, you're, you're sticking your neck out there. So, so that's probably actually what you believe. So for instance, I think most people believe in the future, mm -hmm. uh, even though it's an, uh, it's not a provable, uh, it's not a provable thing. I think pretty much everybody believes it's a thing. Um, so I act as if there is a future. So I try to, uh, make decisions that will, uh, be 
an investment in my future. Um, so the idea of sacrifice is important to me. Mm -hmm. um, so I make offerings uh, every morning uh, to my ancestors, um, which I believe uh, are quite real, even if you don't think that there are spirit blobs floating around, yeah. uh, which I probably do. But even if you don't, I think it's pretty clear they're in your DNA. They're in the stories that get handed down to you. Uh, they're in the, 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 the traditions of art that are handed down to you. And really you're born into a world that is shaped by your ancestors. So I want to acknowledge their contribution and be grateful for what they've done, even if they've made mistakes. So every morning I make offerings to the ancestors and uh, I, I tell them to enjoy the offering. And I don't make requests. Uh, I barely ever make any requests other than uh, to request their wisdom. And if I feel like I, I'm getting depressed. I ask that they uh, they guide me to joy and laughter and this sort of thing. So that's that's a mainstay of my practice. And then just about every day, I pray to uh, people that aren't strictly ancestors. But uh, because the tradition of my ancestors is largely a Christian one, most of the praying I do is to is within a Christian. Uh, category so I but what's been interesting is to plunder that Christian tradition for treasures that are much more appealing to me than the ones that were were strictly kind of imposed upon me so I do I do a prayer every day that um, where wherein I reiterate the fact that I am Christ as much as Christ is its own entity. Yeah. Um, I pray to the Holy Spirit, the St. Hildegard Holy Spirit prayer, which is a prayer that um, that is essentially saying that the that life animated spirit uh, is the underpinning of all life and it's function is to heal and to forgive so i do that um my patron saint is saint cyprian of antioch and i pray a, a prayer uh to antioch and his associates which are justina and teoctiste and i don't know if i'm pronouncing that right but that doesn't matter <laughs> And then I do a protection prayer to St. Cyprian daily. And I also I do a prayer to Mary. So that kind of occupies like the feminine goddess part of my pantheon. And um, finally, I will do the Our Father, who represents kind of a, like a masculine part of the pantheon. And... Also, I do quite a bit of reading of, of psalms, uh, especially considering that David was a musician and that music was a high preoccupation for that, that character. That's something that I jive with quite a bit. Yeah. 
So those are the, like the mainstays. And then interspersed between that, I'll, uh, I'll have like ebbs and flows of more intense, uh, what we would call work. So I'll do, and that, that those are like experimentations. Um, I do that sparingly because I found that the effects can be quite um, total <laughs> and and disruptive. So, though I think uh, I think it's in your last podcast you were talking about how uh, the death and rebirth cycle is is important, and but it is it can be a painful cycle, and I think we see that in a lot of the traditions handed to us from our ancestors that the uh, initiatory ordeal is by nature violent and painful and, and brutal. So when I do these um, larger workings, it's because I'm prepared to live through a, a destructive period. Um, and then I'm, I'm kind of like, I, I want to be ready for that. So most of it is like, just basic stuff, maintenance, spiritual hygiene, stuff that I just like doing. I think it's fun to pray. I'm that kind of nerd. <laughs> I don't know. I just, cool. Actually, I didn't like it when I was Jehovah's Witness because I didn't get the sense that it was going anywhere. But now that I, I can be free and just like do prayers that I like and discard those that, I, that don't speak to me, uh, I'm, I actually enjoy that. And I like reading out... I go. I walk down to the to the the side of the river. There's a bay really close by to my place. And I read psalms, and I think it's cool. I watch the geese honking around and yeah. birds, and I, it just makes me feel good. Um, yeah. So that's roughly the shape of my practice at this point. No, that's super interesting because um, I'd say I'm doing a lot of similar things. Um, psalms came up. Uh, as one of the things I'm just like, it's it's weird because I'm familiar with all these psalms and scriptures from my history, but they have so much more impact and meaning to me now than they ever did when I was supposedly, you know, one of those people. Um, right. Like I, I, I mean, the Lord's Prayer, um, you know, brings me to tears just about every time, and it's and it's it's because of the framework from which I'm viewing it now. Um, heck, some of it's like, uh, I don't know with uh, it's Neville Goddard. Neville Goddard's like kind of my thing at the moment. Um, okay. I'm vibing a lot with the, with the new thought stuff. Um, thinking of the idea of like my subconscious or my own creativity being God. Um, and I think that's an interesting idea, but reading the Lord's prayer from that point of view um, changes the meaning of it quite a bit. Um, at least it, it felt that way for me. Um, but yeah, prayers, something that I felt like, I was like, well, if I'm good at anything spiritually based on my history, it should be prayer. Um, yeah. Mormons are weird in that they don't have very many, um, recited prayers that are, you know, the same words every time. It's usually this very, um, kind of freewheeling, you know, it's different every time, but at the same time, they do repeat things a lot. <laughs> so um, it's been interesting trying to experiment with it. Um, but yeah, maybe. There's, yeah. Go ahead. Oh no, you you go ahead. I didn't. I was just kind of 
rolling. <laughs> so. Right, 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 right. Yeah, well, this, I think what we're doing here is a trying to, like an exploration to figure out how to articulate these ideas, which yeah. I think is the most interesting sort of conversation. <laughs> yeah. Um, rather than like uh, reciting to each other what we know is true. <laughs> yes. <laughs> um, yeah, but I, I, I heard this, uh, this um, just this one sentence thing, uh, thing that I heard. And sometimes you'll come across something in a context you don't expect. And it's just like a few words and it just like blows your mind open. Uh, I watched this documentary, funny enough, about UFOs. And they did interview this, uh, this uh, Warani Shamanas in there. Um, yeah, I, that they, was, as a side note, that, that's, I served my mission in, in kind of their area. I was right next to Paraguay. And so oh, we, okay. had, we had the Book of Mormon in, <laughs> in that language and it was a trip to try and read it. But yeah, that's a side. Right, right. <laughs> yeah, no, that's really interesting. It's a bit of a synchronicity there. Um, so this Warani Shamanas was saying as, in a very matter of fact way that was, that was quite arresting. She said, um, so these prayer, these prayers we, we pray teach us such and such. And it just, it was this, just this quick, realization that they she doesn't think that she's praying a prayer she thinks that the prayer is praying her because she's being taught something yeah so if you're if you're saying words and the words teach you something it flips the relationship yeah. you're not like shoving words out into the cosmos it's like you're you're summoning forth something that will teach you. So to, to be able to, I know, right. It's kind yeah. of, a, it's kind like, of a wild thing. I'm getting it now. So, I'm just like, that is a completely different way to think about it. That's very interesting. Cause yeah, I almost feel like I've gotten that sense. And part of it, I think I can attribute to the Neville Goddard stuff of putting if stop seeing God outside of me and seeing him inside of me. Um, and that prayer is kind of a way for me to um, change myself and therefore change my reality rather than trying to have some outside force change my reality for me. Because um, I've definitely had that experience of, um, it's, it's, it's funny because it's, it's an amalgamation of a bunch of different weird thoughts and things that I'm reading that influence what I'm doing. Because I'm, I'm reading Liber Chaos right now by Peter Carroll. And he talks about these ideas of etheric patterns, right? That you're putting something, that, that via prayer visualization, you're creating a pattern that directly influences reality. Um, and part of me wonders if prayer can act as an etheric pattern that affects you changes you and who you are teaches yeah. you something um because you're constantly you know asking for it <laughs> you're asking for that yeah. wisdom and you get it kind of well i wonder if that's not just like part of the equation um i'm not saying you're wrong or anything like that or that peter carroll is wrong i'm just just wondering if there's not maybe more going on because if the prayer is teaching you that the prayer is a person so maybe when you pray, you're entering into some sort of collaboration, yeah. which 
I think that uh, religion maybe has uh, a better handle on than uh, than the magical tradition, as far as I can tell. Yeah. Obviously, I'm not an expert. I'm just I'm just fucking around here. But I I wonder if that's not maybe what religion is like better at teaching, and despite their their crazy arrogance and certainty, I wonder if like it's not real maybe that that tradition doesn't contain some sort of like deep wisdom where there's a humility in entering into a collaboration with the world because you don't know everything. Yeah. So instead of like doing the whole I will use my will to bend reality, it's more like I will use my inherently human nature to learn how I can be properly integrated in the world. So there's a there's a learning process to it. Maybe the magic there that's being done in prayer is is one of of filling up on wisdom, filling up one's wisdom tank. Yeah. So you you can make better decisions when you're when you're doing magic that will affect reality, so that you are you can have slightly more confidence that when you're affecting reality, you're not making it worse. Yeah, and that's always been something that's interesting to me because um, in dabbling with the magic stuff, you have a lot of the kind of Crowley style like you know, projecting your will upon reality, right? That, you know, it's, it seems to be fairly like almost self-centered and just like, well, I want what I want. I'm trying to bring what I want into existence. But then there's that other idea of just like, well, if the universe knows better, then go ahead and, you know, <laughs> don't listen to me kind of a thing. Um, I've had trouble, well, not trouble, just trying to parse those two ideas. Um, and see like well which one's more correct that um am i getting magical better results out of trying to align myself with the will of the universe or because um i'm trying to impose my will on the universe or is it both that we're collaborating together that's collaborating yeah. is a different way to think about it that, yeah it's a relationship it's a relationship where um you, you you're you're recognizing the fact that you're you are an individual you, you do have sovereignty you do have agency um so you won't be uh what's the, what's the scripture that says tossed about like like in, as waves in the sea or something yeah. like that um but it also recognizes that you don't know right yeah. so you, you need to learn it there's a, a certain humbling before God kind of a thing there. Yeah. Um, but but I, I wonder if that's not what part of my relationship to the God idea that, that, that made it toxic was that my, my unwillingness to be humble, that my mm -hmm. unwillingness to recognize the own limits of my 
ability, of my knowledge, of my skill, of my goodness. Yes. <laughs> so I don't know. These are all things that I'm thinking about. I don't know. It's, it's just definitely when I think about those things, it opens up scary things, right? Yeah. <laughs> That's the thing is it's kind of, um, it's kind of a trip constantly um, realigning your, well, your paradigms or whatever we want to call them to, to match something else or things that you're, you're experimenting with or trying to figure out. Cause that, see, that's, that's something that like you're teaching me right now is that like the idea of collaboration and maybe it just makes sense. Cause I've, I've heard you talking in interviews about collaborating on music. Um, but maybe that's something that we're doing with the universe is that, you know, it's not me imposing my will on the universe or the universe imposing its will on me. It's that we're trying to achieve some kind of harmony. Um, and yes. Prayer meditation and maybe some other things help us do that um because it's sometimes i feel um it's it's very funny being in this um magical community because that's that's if it's not obvious to people who are listening i guess that's how we connected is because we're part of the same magical community but um i i often feel um inferior to some people because they're getting like completely different kinds of messages and, and um, experiences than I am. Like some of them, it sounds like they're seeing some things that I'm just like, I wish I would see that, or I wish I'd felt that. And their experiences are so, they seem so upgraded compared to mine. But then I'm like, maybe it's just the universe is communicating with me in a way that makes sense. Maybe if it was some kind of, maybe if I was having the same experiences that they are, um, I wouldn't believe them or I wouldn't take them as seriously or or something about it wouldn't work. I don't know. <laughs> yeah. Well, some people are better at hockey than others. Yeah. <laughs> it's, it's it true. might be that simple, right? Um, but yeah, that, that definitely the collaboration thing is, is something to think of. The harmony is definitely something that you were saying, which is incidentally a musical term, right? Yeah. So I, I, I talk about music building a bridge. Um, well, a bridge is built from both sides, right? Yeah. There's there's, there's one uh, thing I read where the function of the shaman in this particular uh, cultural context was in part to sing songs to the lost parts of one's soul that that due to having lost it was causing illness. The shaman would sing a song to that soul in order to act as a is a trail guide because the, the soul is lost so it doesn't know its surroundings it, it can't understand its confused but it will understand the song and know how to follow it home but that implies some agency on that soul part yeah. that it will take the journey home and follow the trail of musical breadcrumbs right back home, right? Yeah. So again, it's like a, that bridge being built from both sides, right? Yeah, that's 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 interesting way to think about because I, I think about in context of what I'm doing right now with the, um, you know, I'm in day two of a three-day fast and I'm trying to figure out, well, what's the point of this fast? Um, obviously, a lot of us um, 
have been doing it for health reasons, for immune boosting, or um, and I've been doing intermittent fasting for purposes of weight loss for a while. But um, to go three days without food and try and figure it, and for me, it is spiritual. That is the motivation for it because um, I know that that was a practice that you know I had. You know, we had fasts every month um, as members of the church, and it's it's in the Bible. And so I'm trying to figure out, like, well, what's the point of this? What what is what is it about me not eating food <laughs> that helps or or causes something to happen? And yeah. I, I've heard several different takes on it. You know, I've heard some people say, well, it makes you interesting to the spirits. Like they're like, he's doing something different, so we'll pay attention. Um, part of me wonders if it's not if it's something that I'm teaching myself and then I'm like well just wondering like well what does it feel like to not eat for three days because I've never done a full three days before I've done two um and maybe that teaches me some kind of lesson I don't know um because there's a part of me I'm just like well I shouldn't fast without a purpose and so my whole purpose is just trying to be is trying to intensify my contact with the spirits I'm working with um, or with God or whoever <laughs> and see, see what happens. Um, Cause I've never had intense dreams or anything like that. And so I'm hoping like maybe that'll come of it. But at the same time, I'm like, will I feel like a failure if nothing happens <laughs> or will I've learned something and not understood that I learned something? Um, it's kind of, it's it's an experiment. That's the funny thing is all, a lot of this just seems to be experimenting, trying something and seeing what happens. Um, and uh, yeah, it's, it gets, we get into tricky mind space. <laughs> yeah, indeed, yeah. <laughs> um, well, I think we're approaching an hour here. Um, and since... What I'm trying to do is kind of get each person's individual story right. Um, I think we've already gotten several great things from you, just either from from your experience directly or just from the chat that we've been having and where it's gone. Um, but I kind of one of the questions I had listed here for you is um, what what spiritual things have you learned via your life experience, like? your own particular journey. Um, what are some things that you have learned that I, I want to say the more important ones, because I think you've, you've learned several things. Maybe there's not a, a gradient of importance, but like what's a particular spiritual message that you would want to put out there based on what you've lived through. Okay. Um, do you mind if we find, if we sort of define spiritual i know this stuff but trying to reframe the question right and so, so yeah so so we i can take that literally like spirit you will okay right it's it's i i it's the thing is is like that's a little bit nebulous i'm not too sure where to where to like what's my starting point kind of thing right yeah i think um part of it's just like i'm using words and i'm used to using but i have a maybe a, a set definition that's not <laughs> that's different um i think the 
it's it's tied in with the whole point of why I started interviewing people, right? Is I think I'm trying to allow people an opportunity to tell their own story um, spiritually. Like um, this is this is based on astrology stuff, which I think if I remember right, you don't mess with astrology too much, right? Or do you? Yeah, I I don't think that I I think I'm too stupid like for astrology. I don't understand like I, uh, I know that people like understand angles and this sort of thing. I, I, um, I might try, but I I don't think it's a good match for my temperament. Yeah, no. Uh, I was just I'm just like wondering. I'm like, how technical can I get here? Um, because <laughs> I'm trying to. That's the thing is I'm trying to become a professional astrologer. So I, it's it's. Yeah it's one of my modes of thinking. Um, and so looking at my own chart and seeing, um, my 10th house is, is cancer. And so something about, uh, the 10th house being your career and your public life, um, kind of like your achievement. Um, the messages that I've gotten from, from spirit, just from praying about it and doing journey work is that like, I've basically been told the thing that people will see about you is, is, nurturing and nourishing in nature that they will see it when you try and care about people and listen to them. And so that's kind of what I'm trying to do. I think we've had like this really great, interesting conversation. Um, but the idea that occurred to me was like, I want to give other people a chance to be heard. Um, like, but the question of like, what, um, because I, I see that as a nourishing thing to to have the opportunity to be heard to tell your own personal story um spiritually or not spiritually or if you want to make it wider than that that's fine too but um i don't know i i feel like each of us lead our lives and then most people aren't terribly interested in what's going on with us (laughs) (laughs) and so i see this uh, these interviews that i'm trying to do as an opportunity for like a bunch of us to be interested in in you personally um and your spiritual history and your okay. your your life so i'm i'm that's that's the platform i'm trying to give you right now um is you know if you have something that spiritually you've learned or a message that you want to get across or some kind of theme of your life that you feel might help people um but also help you by getting it out there <laughs> I, I think it's, it's definitely kind of a mutual flourishing thing in my head where, you know, I have through this podcast, the chance to tell my story and that's healing and helpful to me. Um, but at the same time, like I figure somebody gets something out of that. At least I hope so. Otherwise I don't feel like there's much of a point. <laughs> yeah. So I think, I think what you're asking is what could I say here that would be a the most benefit to 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 an audience. Yeah. I was just let me think about that. <laughs> I was gonna say it's a deep question, so
I'm not getting the impression that I should tell them. To engage. Yeah, so I, I think I think I'm, I'm feeling some resistance to this because yeah. <laughs> because I'm not sure that I feel confident to be able to like give advice that that uh, I am thoroughly implementing myself. <laughs> yeah. no, I, I feel that way too sometimes just with the context of like the podcast started as like well let me try and see if I can give spiritual advice to people because that's the thing I'm passionate about but then I I hang out with people like you and other um, similarly adjacent people and I'm like these people are so much better at this than I am um, and so I think I don't know there's a I feel yeah. like there's a tendency to not think you can contribute but maybe you do i don't know yeah, yeah broderick i think what we're talking about here is humility and maybe in the collaborative process um, you know there's there's a scripture that says whenever two or more are gathered in my honor i am there oh yeah so maybe my conversation with you is pressure that we're causing or this maybe what we're invoking here is coming up in the conversation and it's it's humility yeah. maybe maybe that's what it is because we've talked a lot about this conversation of our uncertainty not knowing being curious not too sure yeah. and i think that sort of uh humble approach to interacting with others is has much better results. Uh, we 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 kind of race to share a contribution. I have this I have this uh, tendency myself. It's like oh I have this cool thing that I discovered. That, let me show you. You'll see, and it's gonna be great. And yeah. And but instead, maybe what people want is to is to uh, is to have an opportunity to contribute to you. So maybe being humble, being uncertain, and understanding that you don't know much is some sort of attitude of receiving the yeah. gifts of others, which I think is what the direction you're taking the podcast. Yeah. I think it's what you told me, right? Yeah, I know. I with what you're just saying, it, it's I'm getting kind of impressions that that's we're headed in some some of a right direction. I, I think one of the things um, looking over the interviews you've done or the podcasts you've done um, that that I felt we had in common was was is that uncertainty. Um, I think that we both went through an experience via our our leaving a fundamental religion and maybe other experiences too that. Um, and it's that whole losing a world thing where you come from a place that's very structured and predictable and, um, you know, the everything's not necessarily served up on a platter, but um, there's a lot of things that you don't have to figure out because the answers are kind of given to you. And then being taken from that world and having to 
do the work yourself. Um, I think it is a naturally very humbling process um, that's chock full of uncertainty. And you, you get to this place where you're just like, I don't want to push my stuff on anyone else. But at the same time, I've had these experiences that were like sacred and intense and I want to share them. And trying to bring those two things together is, is, is difficult because you have uncertainty paired with um, a certain degree of excitement about what you've discovered and wanting to share it. Um, And I think that's, um, I think I'm just, I, yeah, I'm trying to bring other people into that equation, I suppose. Um, Like what are the things that they're excited about that they want to, to talk about in a way that's going to be healing for them. Well, not healing, but just um, important to them, make them feel like they've contributed something, but at the same time, like, there is that that inherent uncertainty that I feel both of us feel. <laughs> yeah. Well, I think I think that's what that's the answer to the question. Like, lean in, lean into the uncertainty, because right? we're all in this together, uh, and we all don't know what's going on. So, so maybe maybe we can figure something out and do something good if we put our heads together, right? Yeah. So I guess lean into uncertainty would be would be what I'd say. Yeah, no, I yeah, I have to agree. I think a lot of there's a lot of damage that's caused by some certainty on, on people's parts a lot of the time. Um and I think yeah, no, that's a good message. I think I'll just leave it. <laughs> Let it speak for itself. Yeah. Um, I think it's refreshing to talk uh, with someone who shares that uncertainty. Um, and I think it's been probably healthy for both of us. <laughs> so, yeah, um, yeah. but yeah, I, uh, I'm straight up out of questions. So, um, but yeah, thanks for coming on the show. This is, you're my first interview. So this was kind of, um, nerve wracking in the sense that like, and I don't know how this is going to pan out, but I think it's, it's been, it's been, um, effective because i i feel like we were able to enter some interesting territory in our conversation so maybe we do this again sometime i don't know um at the moment i've got tons of people that will it feels like tons of people who wanted to interview but you know i feel like that's um not always going to be the case so um if you have anything that you wanted to promote i forget i want to say it's myth and mystery or something yeah of course it's meaning and mystery.blogspot.com so that's still a very new blog uh, and it is my process of researching for a book that I'm writing about music and I'm basically just trying to share the tidbits of what I learn onto this uh, onto this blog I update it once a month so that people who subscribe don't get too many updates. You know, there's already enough to keep track of. And um, it's also where I practice writing. So anybody that has any feedback is is welcome. uh, They're welcome to do so. Or if they just want to read and they think it's interesting, they can also give me a word of encouragement. I'd appreciate (laughs) that too. Um, Yeah, but just, I'd be glad to meet you. So go ahead and 
reach out to me on there. I, hopefully, I, uh, hopefully I'm making a contribution that's useful. Yeah, and then um, and then you've got all your band stuff on YouTube under Gazm, right? G H A Z M. Um, yeah, yeah, you can check that out. Currently, the online musical sabbatical uh, to write the book. I don't know if the band's going to come back together, but uh, if you like if you like weird music, go ahead and check it out. Yeah. Yeah, no, I I was definitely um, I didn't know what to expect because I mean, um, I was in a band in high school, even though I had no business being in a band in school. I, I, uh, I toyed with the guitar for like a few years and, um, it wasn't, it wasn't ever a serious pursuit of mine, but, um, so sometimes you wonder, it's like, oh, he's got a band. So you don't know what to expect when, but musically, but I, I checked your stuff out and I was just like, this is very varied and different and, but also it's, it's high quality, good stuff. So, so yeah, um, I feel like, uh, it'd be fun for most people to check out. <laughs> Um, and, uh, yeah, if you have anything else, I think you've just got the blogs, the blog and the, and the band at the moment, right? That's, I think that's it. Okay. I just wanted to make sure I was just like, since this is about mutual flourishing, I want to make sure that whatever little listenership I have, that they, <laughs> they, they check your stuff out too. Um, cause I, I enjoyed the process of doing it myself just to prepare for the interview. So I feel like most people would, um, but yeah. Thanks, man. We'll go ahead and wrap it up, and uh, maybe we'll do this again sometime. <laughs> All right, buddy. Thanks a lot.